Well, welcome to Mosaic and Merry Christmas. And my name is uh, Mike, and I'm normally not the guy that's up here. Uh, my role, I've discovered, uh, in this community is to be the opposite of everything cool and hip. That's who I am. And I'm that guy. Okay, so uh, I'm not normally up here talking, but I'm glad to be able to do this this morning. Um, love to be able to share and uh, to just kind of let you know what's going on in my life and, and uh, just explain to you some things that, some amazing things that God's done in my heart as we approach this Christmas season. We've been in this series, Do You Hear What I Hear? And we've been taking uh, different Christmas carols and picking out some truth there uh, in those carols and really focusing in on those things. And uh, this morning we're going to continue that. And we're going to talk about a song that most of you learned when you were about this tall, uh, very little, and uh, it's probably the first carol that you ever learned, and that's the song, Away in a Manger. And uh, I, it's one of those songs that if you grew up in the church, and you probably had to uh, participate in the uh, Christmas program. And maybe you were dressed up as a shepherd, um, or maybe an angel uh, with your little white robe and your wings on and your little glittery halo. Or maybe you were really lucky and you had one of those cool cut-out cardboard stars, you know, the kind that when you walked around it shed glitter all over the stage. You know, those were really cool and you had glitter all over you by the time you were done with the program. But if, if you grew up in church, you probably learned that song away in a manger. And I, I love traditions of Christmas programs and things like that. I, there's, there's just something fun about seeing these little kids up there uh, doing their best to tell the Christmas story. But one of the traditions that I started here a few years ago for myself was to be able to focus on something specific in the Christmas story. And to pick out something and just really focus on it, start on December 1st and lead up to Christmas time and just pick one of those things and, and just really hone in on it and, and really focus on it and pray about it and just ask God to really show me something new in this story. And sometimes I you know, would rely on just the Advent uh, devotionals that some people put out and that would be kind of a starting point for me as I looked at some of those things and and it would be a starting point, and then I would just pick something out, and the rest of the time, just really focus on that. And this year, what I picked out and really focused on is just how bizarre this story really is. And the cool thing about the Bible is that as you look at the Scripture, you can read some things between those lines, And you can use your imagination to put yourself in that person's place and just try and bring to life. One of the the most impactful people I had in my life was this crazy guy named Al Hamilton. And Al Hamilton got a hold of me in high school, and he taught me how to bring the Bible to life. And 
it was just amazing to sit back and listen to him tell some of these stories out of the Bible and how it would just come to life and how he told about, you know, David and Goliath and different, different stories like that just made you want to go home and read it. And so I picked out this bizarre story in itself and just began to look at it. And it all started in Philippians chapter 2. And Philippians is one of my favorite books, and I know that's why I started there. But in chapter 2, it says this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. And then he gets to this part. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Just think how bizarre that really is. To think how God became flesh. How he emptied himself of all that he had to become like one of us. When you look at this, a few cells beginning to divide. Do you see God? It's just so bizarre to think of the Son of God being that. The creator of all creation becoming that. And to become being created. And then we see this. And we see God as this tiny, holy child asleep in a mother's womb, forming fingers and eyebrows and elbows and toes. It's bizarre to even think about that God emptied himself of all that he had to take the same path that you and I take when we are born. To begin as that little zygote <laughs> with cells splitting and then to, to enter this mother's womb and to stay there and to press against the flesh of the mother and swim around in the amniotic fluid and then to come out the birth canal just like you and I do. And that just seems so bizarre when you think of it as God becoming man. And he became totally dependent on a young Jewish couple. I mean, the guy that cast the stars into the heaven nursed at his mother's breasts. That is 
bizarre. And when the Bible talks about how Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, I like to think of that as a translation being that it took everything she had to keep from freaking out because I really believe that's how it is. I can see Mary sitting in the corner looking at her stomach and going, is this real? Is this really happening to me? And I can't help but think about how the angels must have thought how odd it was. Because I have this vision in my brain of this announcement being made in heaven that maybe it started out with a trumpet blast and the time had come for the Messiah to come to the earth to conquer death once and for all. And I could see all heaven rising to their feet and the, the angels mounting their fiery chariots and legions of angels with fire swords drawn, ready to do battle against this evil that has to be conquered. And I can hear the heavenly host of angels rising to their feet and singing out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. And it had to be such an awesome moment when everything came to a hush. As God spoke his plan. And there were no fiery chariots. There were no legions of warrior angels ready to pour down some Sada and Gomorrah all over the place. There was simply a couple angelic visits and a small heavenly host that they probably had to bargain for to get that sang to some lowly shepherds. And I just can't help but think that these angels that had seen the glorious Christ that's described in the book of Revelation, that had seen him in all of his glory, how odd and bizarre it just had to be to see a mucus-covered infant being born. That's bizarre and strange. And I can't, I can't help but think about Joseph. I mean, can you imagine, as a guy, talk to the guys here for a minute, can you imagine hugging Mary and having thoughts about Mary, Okay? And the whole time you're thinking, the Son of God is between us. That would be weird. That would be bizarre. I mean, it's, it's odd enough when, when you're a, a husband and wife and, and uh, you begin to have romantic thoughts and, and, and the wife is pregnant and to just even the whole thought of that there's a baby in there is just kind of awkward. And, and it would really be awkward to think, that's the son of God. You know, that would really be awkward. <laughs> and I just, I, I feel for Joseph. Because I mean, it would be like, okay, uh, 
I've got to make sure I don't think anything wrong here. You know, it's the Son of God. And, uh, you know, he knows. And uh, you know, it, just, it would just freak me out. And I think about Joseph, and I think, that would just be bizarre. And I don't know if you, you dads, have any of you dads, when, when the wife was pregnant, did you ever talk to the baby? Anybody do that besides me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a great trick. You know, the wife's laying there on the bed, and her belly's like, out here. And, uh, you know, there's motion everywhere. It looks like a hurricane going on in there, and there's hands getting shoved out and feet getting shoved out. And there's all this weird stuff going on. And you lay there next to the belly, and you talk to it. And you say, oh, hey there, this is your papa. You know, can't wait to see you awesome it's time your mother's getting irritable get out of there come on you know you encourage them you do all those things and uh and it's really cool when you're talking to them and all of a sudden there have been no motion and all of a sudden they're like <laughs> like they're really excited to see you and they can't see you but but you just think they are and you're communicating with them and i think about joseph and i think oh that would even be really even weirder <laughs> because i mean i would be afraid if i was joseph say Hey, um, son of God, <laughs> uh, can't wait to see you, you know, because I'd be afraid that there might be a voice come back out of the womb that says, hey, yeah, I see you right now, and I remember when you were in this position, and yeah, I created you and made your ears and everything. Remember, hey, how funny your ears are? That was me. That was me. I did that to you. And, you know, I'd be afraid of that. And so it had to be just this bizarre situation for, for Joseph. And just imagine that this baby that Mary's carrying is the Son of God. And that's the kind of amazing stuff that I've been thinking about. Give you a little glimpse into my weird mind. But the story of Christmas, I have to tell you, has come alive to me in this time leading up to it. And there have been so many mornings as I've sat there in the dark, because I get up early, and, and we usually go for a walk, and, and then I sit down on the couch, and I've got my righteous cup of coffee, and I'm sitting there drinking that, and it's really nice right now, because you have the lights of the Christmas tree, and, and just contemplating the bizarre story of the Christmas story. And it's just been amazing how it has come to life for me. And there have been times that God and I have just smiled and laughed as I think about things, because there are so many things to think about. The shepherds, they're hilarious if you really stop and think about it. You know, the wise men coming, how odd that was. I mean, the innkeeper, how did he feel? I mean, I, I could go on and on and on for hours. Just the things that I've thought of and what God has brought to light. But I've also wondered whether life kind of became normal again for Mary and Joseph. Did the awe kind of start subsiding for her? And I think about that because, you know, life gets busy. And, and, and for a newlywed couple, there would be the adjustments of, of being married. That would be different. That would kind of make you kind of 
distracted. The whole idea of everything that Mary had to go through that we talked about last week and the, the struggle that she faced in, in just being you know, that pregnant woman who, who had to get married and have to struggle with that, that would be distracting. And I, I just think that sometimes when there's these tumultuous experiences in our life, one of the ways that we cope with that is simply to try and grab onto the normal and live the normal, right? We try and get back into that normal rhythm of life because it's comfortable for us. And I may be wrong about Mary and Joseph. Maybe Mary was like Carrie Underwood on The Sound of Music, you know, and every morning she got up and the hills are alive and she started singing. You know, I, I don't know. And, and, and I can picture Joseph in his workshop, you know, scratching his head going, what kind of crib do you build for the Savior of the world? Anyway, what, how do I build this? I'm big, small? I mean, what, I wonder what he'd like. But I also think that it had to just finally kind of become the normal routine. No more angelic visits. Just the two of them together. Starting a life together. And you know, for you and I, everything that goes on around Christmas time, it is just so easy for us to hear that same story and just kind of go, mm-hmm, that's nice. Think about this song, Away in a Manger. Just, just kind of play it through your head for a minute, and if it helps you to play it through your head, just go through that, the universal actions, you know, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head, the stars in the sky look down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus. You guys all do that? Yeah. Asleep on the... My daughter used to sing on the hate. Asleep on the hate. It was, just kind of added a whole new dimension to the song. But uh, it, it just kind of... That song just kind of makes you feel all warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? But you know, it's like Aaron talked about last week that the danger that lies is this image that's projected in the, our modern-day nativity of this warm little hay-covered barn and how the sheep are all just laying there nice looking at Jesus and, you know, you can't smell anything and, 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 and how the carols just paint this beautiful picture of silent night, holy night, no baby crying, nothing. The danger in that is it kind of muffles the message of Christmas. And so this morning, I just, I really just want to share with you the, the spotlight that God has just placed on my heart today that just kind of blows away all that soft candlelight that makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. Because I want us to really see God coming to us. And I want to do that by simply asking you a question. And here's the question. Is this Jesus that you celebrate? Is he the sweet little baby Jesus that's all cute and snuggled up in his swaddling clothes, tucked away in a manger? Or is he the one who gave up everything he had 
and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because of that fact, he commands the same surrender from you and I. Now, before you answer that question, which Jesus do you celebrate? I've got to lay at your feet the same thing that God has really laid on my heart as I've struggled with this very question. I'm going to just share with you a little holiday smackdown. That's all right. And that is, the answer to that question is not what your mouth says. The answer to that question is the life that you live. Because the Jesus that you celebrate is evidence of the life that you are living. And to be real honest with you, it's so much more comfortable to celebrate the sweet baby Jesus. And if we could just keep him in the manger, it's just a lot more comfortable. To keep him as that sweet, baby Jesus that needs us instead of the risen Savior that we need so desperately. And I know we don't want to think about it, but I think we have to try and understand and really take an honest look at ourselves. And man, I have spent a week wrestling with this question. What does my life say about the Jesus that I celebrate. And to kind of help you do a little evaluation, because this, this is what I've done, to try and help you evaluate that a little bit, I, I'm going to paint you two spectrums, okay? And, and then look at yourself and put you along that line somewhere. And really be honest with yourself and answer this question by evaluating your life. The first one is, for many people, Jesus is away in a manger. He's a cute little baby lying in a manger. He's smiling and cooing and generally looks harmless. He fills you with good feelings. We never hear a whimper. He never cries. He is the perfect baby. He's away in a manger, in a manger and it's convenient to just leave him there. A harmless baby making no demands on us. We don't even have to change his diaper because we all know baby Jesus doesn't poop. No. He's perfect. He doesn't poop. We can go about our lives without thinking of him and then return to the stable to just find him perfectly happy. Didn't miss us a bit. He's just a part of a nativity scene. He's just a small piece amongst a bunch of other pieces. The shepherds, the camels, the wise men, Mary and Joseph. He's just this little piece. And we wrap him up and we put him away in tissue paper so he doesn't get broke. And we stick him in a little carton and we put him down in the basement alongside Santa and his elves until next year. He's away from me, away from the real world, tucked away, stored away. 
a tiny baby that is part of another time, another place. Just a piece of history. Maybe he's even just a legend that's been passed on from generation to generation, kind of like the guy in the red suit. Either way, that tiny baby Jesus just doesn't fit well with the 21st century in the world we live in today. But for others, Jesus is away in the manger. He is not just a way, he is the way. And it's evident in their lives that Jesus is a way of life. He is a way to live. When they don't know what to do and they need advice, they need to gain understanding, they need to gain wisdom, they go to him because he is the wonderful counselor. When the doctor says, I'm sorry you have cancer and there is nothing we can do for you anymore, they go to him because he is the mighty God that can heal. When they're alone and they feel desperate and they feel like nobody cares about them, they go to him because he is the everlasting father who will always fight for them. And when all hell breaks loose and their life comes crashing down around them, it is so odd because they go to him and he is the prince of peace. And there's something different there. In the chaos, you find peace. That's the difference between Jesus away in a manger and who Jesus really is, the conquering king. And I don't know about you, but I have to tell you, I have been so guilty of living way too many years of my life tucking him away in the manger. And I know that we don't want to hear it, but I have to tell you, Christmas is awesome. But Jesus did not come to this earth to be celebrated as a child. He came to be celebrated as a conquering king who died once and for all for our sins so that we could claim him as our savior and it is us that's to be celebrated as a child because he made the way for us to be celebrated as a child of God. And that's the Jesus of the Christmas story. That's the Jesus who came and the only way that that can happen is if we take Jesus out of the manger and see him on the cross and see him gone from the empty tomb. That is the only way that he can come to you and say, I want to rule over all your life. Not just be a part of Christmas. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love what Oswald Chambers writes about this verse. And it's kind of long, and I apologize for that. But believe me, it is a golden nugget if you'll understand what he's saying. He says, to become one with Jesus Christ, a person must be willing not only to give up sin, but also to surrender his whole way of looking at things. Being born again by the Spirit of God means that we must first be willing to let go before we can grasp something else. The first thing we must surrender is all of our pretense or deceit. What our Lord wants us to present to him is not our goodness, honesty, or our efforts to do better, but real, solid sin. Actually, that's all he can take from us. And what he gives us in exchange for our sin is real, solid righteousness. But we must surrender all pretense that we are anything and give up all of our claims of even being worthy of God's consideration. And once we've done that, the Spirit of God will show us what we need to surrender next. Along each step of this process, we will have to give up our claims to our rights to ourselves. Are we willing to surrender our grasp on what we possess, our desires, and everything else in our lives? Are we ready to be identified with the death of Jesus Christ? We will suffer a sharp, painful disillusionment before we fully surrender. When people really see themselves as the Lord sees them, it's not the terribly offensive sins of the flesh that shock them. But get this. But the awful nature of the pride of their own hearts opposing Jesus Christ. When they see themselves in the light of the Lord, the shame, horror, and desperate convictions hit home for them. And let's be honest. Because this is exactly what I'm talking about that has just hit me between the eyes. What he talked about there about pride, that's me. Because the real reason that I'm uncomfortable of this risen Jesus who, who saved me and that it's so much more comfortable just to hang on to that baby Jesus is because of that sacrificial love of his that just commands me to do the same for him. But the amazing story about all this that we've talked about is that God did this for one reason, is his deep, 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 deep desire to be near us. There's no other reason for Christ to come than that desire for him to be near us. Think about the last verse of the song, <clears throat> Away in a Manger. Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and take us to heaven to live with thee there. 
That's really his desire is just be near. And the truth of what I want you to see today is that that can't happen with him in the manger. So what Jesus are you celebrating? That's a tough question. And normally around Christmas time, you're supposed to be happy and gay and all those good things. And sometimes that's a tough thing to get hit with. I can tell you there is nothing greater than to surrender and to see him as he really is. Let's pray. Father, it's a heavy thing for us to kind of just think about even surrendering. It's not fun to think about. And yet, I am so thankful that your son thought about it and said yes. And when we consider everything that he gave up, uh, the things that you're asking us to surrender to you, uh, just seems so small. And yet our pride is so strong and our sinful nature is so strong, we just, we just don't want to let go. And God, my prayer this morning is that you will search our hearts, that you will use your Holy Spirit to just work on our hearts, to just make us so uncomfortable this Christmas season that we can't help but let go of those things that we just want to hang on to. That you'll make us miserable so that we can see what you long and what you desire from us. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much that you were willing to send us your son. We're thankful for this bizarre story, that you, this bizarre plan that you had to lay this all out so that you could come and be with us and teach us how to live. We just praise you, God, and thank you right now. And we pray it in the one who came. Amen.